Shalom, and welcome to Israel Policy Pod. I'm your host, Evan Gottesman. This is a short week for us at Israel Policy Forum because of the Shavuot holiday, and I want to wish everyone who's celebrating a Chag Sameach. But a short work week for us doesn't mean that the news cycle stops spinning, and recent days have been particularly momentous in terms of developments related to West Bank annexation. We closed out last week with the news that PLO chairman and Palestinian Authority President Mahmoud Abbas had announced that the PLO and PA would no longer be bound by their agreements with the United States and Israel. That's an announcement or a threat that may sound familiar to some, and we discussed this on our past episode, how Abbas has made similar statements, similar declarations in the past, and little or no action has followed. But it seems that in this case, the announcement has at least been partly borne out. Officials have confirmed that security coordination has ended between the PA and PLO on the one side and the Israeli security services and the American CIA on the other. So clearly something pretty significant happening right now. Given all of this, it proved especially timely that for our most recent Annexation Watch briefing series event, we hosted Ambassador of the PLO to the United Kingdom and former Ambassador of the PLO to the United States, Hussam Zamlat, for a discussion on the Palestinian leadership's reaction to annexation. This was an important and illuminating insight into the Palestinian leadership's thinking about how they're going to respond next to West Bank annexation, and I think it drove home just how far the Palestinians are now willing to go to try and at least put up a fight against annexation, and the significance with which they view this development. So for our listeners, we're presenting in this week's episode a recording of my interview with PLO Ambassador to the United Kingdom, Hussam Zamla. I also want to invite our listeners to consider an alternative perspective presented in this week's Koplau column from our policy director, Michael Koplau, on the necessity of the Palestinians presenting their own counterproposal to the annexation plans currently being forwarded by the Israeli government and the Trump administration, and a link to that will be posted in the description of this episode. With that, here's the recording of our program with Hussam Zama. My name is Alex Stabler, and I'm the chair of the Los Angeles chapter of IPF Fatid, the Young Professionals Arm of Israel Policy Forum. Thank you all for taking the time to join us today. If you're new to Israel Policy Forum, I want to welcome you. Israel Policy Forum is an organization committed to building support for a sustainable two-state solution, meaning a Jewish, democratic, and secure Israel alongside a viable, independent Palestinian state. We do this through outreach in the American Jewish community, through policymakers in Washington, and through IPF Atid Young Leaders. IPF Atid engages thousands of people ages 22 through 40 in North America, with chapters in Boston, Chicago, New York, San Francisco, Washington, and here in LA. IPF also organizes a yearly cohort of Charles Bronfman conveners selected from among rising stars in the American Jewish community and, and, um, and policy professionals for an intensive training on the history and current status of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Conveners then lead projects to help promote Israel policy forms work in their home cities. Last year, IPF Fatid also organized its first young professional leadership delegation to Israel and the West Bank, which I was fortunate to take part in and which had a profound impact on my perspective on these issues. 
Through these initiatives and more, we are mobilizing support among the next generation for our shared vision of a Jewish, democratic, and secure Israel through a viable two-state solution. Right now, IPF fatigue is confronting the imminent possibility of West Bank annexation, a course of action that could render Palestinians permanently stateless while compromising Israel's security and its Jewish democratic character. It would also have a severely negative impact on the relationship between Israel and the next generation of diaspora Jewry. Despite the current global health crisis that we are all facing, we are continuing to work for two states and against annexation through weekly digital gatherings, webinars, and a soon-to-be-announced campaign to mobilize millennial leaders nationwide in this work. Many Atidniks also join Israel Policy Forum's Tuesday video briefings, and I want to take this opportunity to acknowledge all of the young professionals who have taken the time to be with us today. Thank you. We depend on your support in order to continue IPF Atid's vital work in this difficult environment, as well as Israel Policy Forum's other core initiatives, including programs like today's briefing, Israel Policy Pod, Michael Coppolo's column, and our Annexation Watch policy research. To all of our supporters on today's call, thank you. We could not do all of this without you. If you have not done so already, I encourage you to make a contribution. You can do this online at www.israelpolicyforum.org giving. Now to today's program. Um, at the swearing-in ceremony for Israel's new coalition last weekend, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu affirmed that this would be the government to extend Israeli sovereignty to the West Bank, a promise he has doubled down on in the intervening days. In response, Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas declared that the Palestinian Authority and the PLO would no longer be bound by their agreements with the United States and Israel. Since then, officials have confirmed that cooperation has halted between the PA, the PLO, Israeli security services, and the CIA. This context makes today's program especially timely and important. Our guest today is Ambassador Hussam Zomlat. Ambassador Zomlat is the head of the Palestinian mission to the United Kingdom and strategic affairs advisor to the Palestinian president. Previously, he was head of the PLO general delegation to the United States prior to its closure by the Trump administration. He has also served as ambassador at large for the Palestinian presidency and director of the Fatah Party Foreign Relations Committee. Ambassador Zomlat has, holds a PhD in economics from the University of London and co-founded and chaired the Birzeit University School of Government in the West Bank. He has held teaching research positions at Harvard University and University of London, and he has also worked at the UN, London School of Economics, and Palestine Policy Research Institute. Moderating today's call is Evan Gottesman, Israel Policy Forum's Associate Director of Policy and Communications. Evan is the co-host of Israel Policy Forum's podcast, The Israel Policy Pod, and has written for Foreign Policy, Haaretz, the JTA, and other outlets. He is also the co-author of Israel Policy Forum's recent study, In Search of a Viable Option, Evaluating Outcomes to the Israeli-Palestinian Conflict. Now, I'd like to hand it off to Evan. Thank you, Alex, and thank you, Ambassador Zomlot, for taking the time to speak with us today. And again, thank you to all of you for joining us for this program. Uh, before we begin, just a logistical reminder, we do encourage audience questions for our speaker. If you are joining us by computer, you can submit your question by typing it into the Q&A box at the bottom of your screen. For those who are participating by telephone, you can email us questions at info at ipforum.org. And with that, we can jump into it. So Ambassador Zamlat, thank you again for joining us. This past week has seen some fairly significant developments in terms of the Palestinian policy on West Bank annexation. 
As Alex mentioned, the PA has now suspended its security coordination with Israel following through on President Abbas's declaration. We know that in the past, President Abbas has made similar statements to this effect without a significant change in the status quo following that. What was different about this time? Well, first of all, Evan, allow me to thank you and to thank Alice for that kind introduction and uh, to also uh, thank the Israel Policy Forum for giving me such an opportunity to discuss uh, such a timely issue. Thank you all. And this is my first, actually, uh, discussion uh, from work, uh, from the office. So thank you for bringing me out of the lockdown here in London, in the UK. Uh, uh, And it feels absolutely refreshing to be back to work Uh, and strange a little bit, I must say. Uh, uh, so, being the first, you have to handle uh, me with care now, slowly coming back to life. And I wish we were discussing something else other than annexation. Um, uh, we do even consider annexation to be the smoking gun, and uh, we take it absolutely uh, uh, seriously. We've been saying this all along. Uh, 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 why we consider it uh, to be so? Simply because it does not only represent a change, and unfortunately, we have been seeing negative change uh, as far as the peace process is concerned over the last 25 years. Uh, it hasn't been going in the upward, it has been going on the downward, but this is not a change. This is a shift, it's a transformation. It's a statement, not only in the political sense, but in the legal sense of the end of the very notion of partition, of the very principle uh, of uh, two-state solution. And it is a psychological threshold uh, that should we pass. I think it would it would be a point uh, of no return. For those who believe in the realm of possibility, and therefore the two-state solution uh, as per international consensus, international framework, uh, provided that possible solution, I think for us, uh, annexation would uh, mark uh, the smoking gun uh, and the end of that paradigm, and we will not be part of the uh, political uh, uh, new horizons. I mean, uh, there will be a new sort of political universe uh, after annexation uh, that all that we have known uh, uh, will simply not matter. And that's why you have seen uh, very serious uh, decisions uh, been taken. Yes, before we have taken such decisions, uh, the leadership has always opted uh, not to destroy everything. Uh, the leadership wanted to make sure that we exhaust all possibilities uh, to save the vision, that is the two-state solution, to save the investments we have laid down on the ground for the last 26 years or so. And it has been a very a thorough and good investment in building the institutions for the state to come, and to also maintain some stability uh, in the meantime, while the fight in the political sense is up there on the ground, we maintain stability. This is no longer possible, and uh, the leadership realizes that something serious must happen, and I believe uh, that what happened a few days ago is serious, and the train has left the station, and I so believe so that... Annexation is, so annexation is the catalyst for this change or, or this reorientation in the outlook from the Palestinian leadership. You mentioned that in the past, the Palestinian leadership has decided to pull back and, as you said, not destroy everything. How far is the PA and the PLO willing to go in terms of your response to annexation? What are the next steps if this is the course of action that Israel continues to follow? You know, if, uh, if we are talking about preventing annexation, I think uh, we are going as far as we can uh, go. 
this is really the furthest without destroying the pillars, if you may, uh, the infrastructure of the two-state solution that we have been investing in for the last quarter of a century. Um, the main idea here is that we will try our utmost best to actually uh, say it clearly, loudly, uh, in a practical uh, way that the status quo will not continue. And the uh, source of comfort for the status quo uh, uh, can only be there if there is a political legitimate horizon uh, uh, for it. But uh, we know that and this is... what are those all... pillars of the two-state solution you're mentioning that you, you've kept afloat until now? Sorry? You were saying, that in the, you were saying in the past that the, the decision has been taken not to tear down the pillars of a two-state solution or the institutions that have built, built up in the past. What are you referring to there? No, no, I, you know, there's a difference between Israel's illegal policies over the last so many years, including the settlement expansion and all that you have known. Now, uh, we started the peace process with 125,000 illegal settlers. Today, we're talking about more than 700,000. Uh, all these actions required serious reaction from our side. It required serious uh, uh, decisions. Uh, uh, but there, was, there were so many buts uh, and so many ifs, and we wanted to see if this could be reversed, if we can buy constructive time, if there will be new leadership in Israel that would actually deliver uh, something t different. But with the, this last uh, coalition that even includes labor, I don't think there is a lot to uh, contemplate on. There is uh, nothing left for second guessing. Uh, so it's pretty clear, short of changing the calculus in Israel, and the calculus is very clear. Netanyahu's calculus is clear. I mean, um, there is something personal in it for him, but there is something ideological. The personal is to get him re-elected and also uh, uh, be able to actually put the Israeli legal system on trial, as he started by doing two days ago in the, in the court. But the ideological side is to be the one, Netanyahu, who established the second Israel. The second Israel uh, being the Israel uh, uh, with the rest of the occupied uh, uh, territories. So facing these dynamics and facing this reality, and it's a perfect storm for Netanyahu. It's a perfect storm in terms of Trump and the Trump administration. And in fact, the Trump administration is more into annexation than, than the Israeli government itself. Uh, it's a perfect storm in terms of the coronavirus and this pandemic worldwide and the distraction uh, by a key international uh, player. So we believe that Netanyahu is serious. He wants to do it. Uh, he has every single uh, uh, reason to because the cost so far is far less than what he perceives to be uh, the benefit for him personally. Uh, and therefore, we need to change the calculus. We started by changing the calculus, the cost-benefit equation. We started by saying to the Israeli government, no, you cannot have the cake and eat it too. This is not going to be sustainable. There is nothing uh, that will be for a free meal. Everything has to be conditioned on political progress. And we thought that we will get help from others. So I agree with you. We are not getting the help needed well, yeah, to change the the, the the perspective until now has been to try to exhaust all options from the Palestinian angle, but you, you mentioned before essentially that there are certain institutions that have been built up or certain pillars that you said, pillars of a two-state solution that have been previously not been placed on the line and now may be on the line. I'm just asking what institutions are you referring to? I mean, there are things that in the relationship between the Palestinian Authority and Israel uh, that have not yet been impacted, but maybe could be. For example, a couple of weeks ago, we know that Israel agreed to loan 500 million shekels to the Palestinian Authority to compensate for coronavirus losses. 
would the PA and PLO, for example, take steps that might impact arrangements like this? You know, all these arrangements were part of a process that was meant to deliver a two-state solution. And it is important to remind ourselves that the two-state solution was never a Palestinian demand. It was an international sort of framework. And we all accepted that this is what could be the best way to resolve this conflict. Now, everything else is details. I mean, uh, the Palestinian Authority that was established after Oslo, all the structures we have built, those are tools. They are not the objective. They are not the goal. They are not the final destination. And therefore, money is definitely not uh, the issue. Uh, let me be very straightforward here. Uh, for those who think that day one after annexation, business can ever go back to usual, the mistake. Business cannot go back uh, uh, as usual. Uh, uh, I think, you know, maybe people think the sky will fall instantly. No, the sky will not fall instantly. And you might not see mass movement on the ground. But by the way, this is a worrying science because the majority of the Palestinian people now are uh, giving up hope on the two-state solution. And this is why we are trying to fight with every cell we have to bring back some hope via uh, uh, decisions internally, i.e. national decisions, as happened a couple of days ago, and via uh, international serious uh, decision-making, uh, serious consequences to uh, alter that calculus I was talking uh, uh, about. It's interesting that you bring up the, the idea that Palestinian people are giving up on the two-state solution. The official PLO position for roughly the past three decades has been support for a two-state solution. However, and, and you sort of hinted at this, recent polling data shows a decline in support among the Palestinian public for that outcome, especially among younger people. So what's your red line on two states? Is there anything that could happen in terms of a specific Israeli action uh, on annexation or reactions from your own constituents from among the Palestinian public that would cause you to reconsider or change this position? You know, there is that, uh, that threshold, which is annexation. And I say, as I say, this is going to be the smoking gun. But this has been a long process of erosion of the hope for a two-state solution. I mean, it's as long as, as early as the beginning of this peace process. It started in the mid-90s with the assassination of Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin at the time, and then the election of Netanyahu, who came on a platform publicly to derail the Oslo peace process, and he did it, when we give him 10 out of 10 as a mark. Uh, uh, but the Palestinian people are watching and following all that has been happening. There are The, the younger generation uh, were born after Oslo. They haven't known anything else, and they have been seeing the, the uh, quadrupling of the settlements in terms of size and numbers, they were seeing that this process is going exactly in the opposite direction. So you cannot say that this is the product of today, but, you know, we were hoping against hope, thinking that there could be some source of, uh, you know, 180 degree change. The annexation would just be that uh, 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 last bullet, if you may, uh, or, uh, uh, you know, the... Uh, 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 the thing that will make everybody simply uh, uh, pause and realize that we are in for a different direction. It will be the end of discussion about demography, the, uh, sorry, geography, and it will really refocus attention on the demographic side. And I, you know, you're asking all these questions because, you know, let me say this, uh, 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 Evan, if you ask me personally, who should I not envy at this point in time? I'll tell you in the very immediate short 
situation, short term. Uh, you know, I envy us. I envy the Palestinians. I mean, it could not be worse. Could not be worse at every single level possible. I mean, with all that is happening within us and around us, it's the worst perhaps period in terms of the power relations. But that is going to be short term because in the medium to long term, I think I will not be envying Israel and her allies, her supporters, because in the end, for us, it's a matter of fighting for rights. Um, you know, universal values, uh, be it the right for self-determination, which annexation would really undermine, or be it one man, uh, uh, one person, one woman, one vote. Uh, both are universal rights, uh, be it fighting against occupation, which is temporary, and Israel could have spent it uh, uh, as such as a temporary occupation, or be it apartheid, which I believe to be a much more difficult argument to make for Israel. Uh, I think the coming few weeks are going to be decisive for those who think that an argument for two states would be made. And I am, and we are all frankly not seeing that there is a great deal of efforts to tilt the calculus towards stopping the beast of annexation. So you've mentioned at a couple points annexation as this kind of turning point. Um, in Israel, the conversation around annexation sort of revolves around the plan put forward by the United States administration, by the Trump White House. And you talked earlier about the Trump team's position. But in Israel, there have also been plans for what they call a partial annexation. Prime Minister Netanyahu brought forward before one of their elections this plan of just annexing the Jordan Valley alone, which of course I understand would have a significant and severe impact on the Palestinians living in the West Bank and living in the Jordan Valley. But do these sorts of plans, do you also see them as a point of no return? Or is it the broader scheme envisioned in the Trump plan? Or is it just any form of annexation is where things turn around? Yeah, it's, it's the latter. It's the second, uh, even. I mean, uh, it's a matter of principle here. This is not about the size or the location. In principle, we have agreed to engage in a political process with its ups and downs, but the political process is very clear, and the contours of that process is very clear. And it is not based on Palestinian set of demands. It's based on what the international community via the UN Security Council have been presenting us. And by the way, it took us a long time to present that concession, which is accepting the two-state solution, recognizing Israel. But then it becomes an issue of legal considerations. I mean, uh, uh, I'll throw you to your thinking one thing. We have recognized, the PLO has recognized Israel fully on the 1967 borders in writing. Uh, should annexation happens even in, in a small little portion of land uh, next to Israel, then we also uh, recognize Israel's expansion. So there will be some serious legal before political uh, issues on the table uh, uh, for us to actually uh, uh, revise and rethink uh, uh, about. But going back to your, uh, uh, your, uh, your question, uh, it's, it's rather for us straightforward. The moment this is announced. By the way, this is not even about only implementation. It's not like we will wait for implementation. No, no, no. Once it's announced by the government that this is the government platform, which happened already, then we do consider annexation to have happened. And that's why you, you saw our reaction immediately after the announcement during the swearing in of this government. Because for us, you know, we are used to announcing something. So from a Netanyahu point of view, pocketing the political gain, and then leading a process that is slow and long-term, he annexes something here and something there. 
for us announcing it is like doing it. And for us doing it uh, in partially or doing it in its entire sort of uh, plan does not make any difference. All lead to the same conclusion. Israel has announced, Israel's current composition has announced the end of the very principle of partition. I want to move to the U.S. position in all of this and focus in on how the Palestinian leadership has reacted to the Trump plan. It would be an understatement to say that the Palestinian relationship with the U.S. has been strained under the Trump administration. I think that's something that you know personally very well. Um, How do you account for a possible change in a position of the U.S., either under a new administration or for some other reason, in formulating your own response for annexation? Well, first of all, Israel would not been as blunt, uh, as uh, fast, um, um, uh, as public uh, about annexation, which is such a, such a violation of the very basic provisions of international law. It would not have been as gutsy uh, without the Trump administration. I mean, enough to hear what uh, the U.S. ambassador to Israel said. Uh, uh, you know, how can you uh, uh, forego uh, your... Uh, uh, you know, settlers in uh, in Hebron, uh, in, uh, comparing it to the Statue of Liberty in New York, that tells you all what you need to know uh, about the mindset of this administration and the mindset of his team, the Trump's team. Um, uh, so definitely the U.S. politics has played a key role here. And, you know, I we are not seeing anything, uh, uh, any new sort of policy developments in the part of the Biden campaign that would actually help in the uh, uh, calculus, changing of the calculus. Uh, uh, So far, it's nothing that would actually dissuade Israel or dissuade Netanyahu from uh, going ahead with annexation. Uh, We have been following, I have been following what the Biden campaign is saying, what Mr. Biden himself is saying, uh, and so far it does not qualify um, to the level of actually uh, having Netanyahu to pose. If, 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 if Biden says, you know, even if annexation happens, nothing will affect the relationship. If no one is now saying and calling and implementing sanctions, if annexation does not merit uh, uh, the imposition of sanctions by the U.S., at least by the Biden campaign, and by people like you who believe in the two-state solution, I don't know what will actually qualify for sanctions. I mean, and if Netanyahu doesn't hear and feel the word sanctions, consequences, uh, his calculus will continue and he will do the annexation. So, and when we call for sanctions, and we are, and we are engaging all international players, including here in the UK, about sanctions being the key uh, uh, sort of word for trying to stop this, prevent annexation. You know, we are accused sometimes of, of this is hatred against Israel, this is uh, 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 anti-Semitic, this is counterproductive, why are you singling Israel out? So if we cannot actually call for sanctions now to prevent this beast called annexation from destroying everything, I think we are doomed, my friend. So frankly, in one sentence, I do not see a U.S. partner right now that is capable to stop Netanyahu from annexation. Uh, I see a lot of movement in the Jewish community. I see people like you, and I, you know, I'm, I'm engaging many. And I don't know if Susie Gelman is in the in the audience. You know, I, I remember her great work when I was in, in the U.S. Uh, uh, and I know that you are passionate about the two-state solution, the future uh, of the region and stability in the region. But I tell you, we tell you, if we don't prevent it now. 
after annexation, it will be a new dawn. It will take time. Things will not collapse immediately. But do not, I won't, do not use the same terminology and the same discourse. It will be over. And people back there, the Palestinians, are known to be collectively creative. And, you know, they might, you know, be patient for some time, wait for the right moment, uh, see what would be the most effective way to fight for their rights. But there is one thing for certain. They will continue. We will continue struggling for our internationally guaranteed rights that are enshrined in international law and legitimate. I mean, those are rights that are legitimate, especially when Israel makes the final shift towards demography and towards apartheid and discrimination and three distinct legal systems. And when we start saying that all men and women are born equal, uh, I think the argument will be substantially different. Um, first of all, I just want to remind our audience that we are reviewing your questions and we will take audience questions later in the program. Just going back to the U.S. position on this, and you mentioned that uh, your, your feelings on the Biden campaign's approach to annexation, but the Trump administration's policy toward Israel and policy toward the Palestinians hasn't just been about annexation. They've also cut off the aid to the Palestinians in the West Bank and Gaza. They've closed what was your office in Washington, D.C., and uh, the relationship between the Palestinian leadership and between the United States has essentially been severed. The Biden campaign has pledged to roll back those changes. What do you make of that aspect of a potential new American policy on this issue? You, if you mean the Trump policy, it was a full, total capturation to the Netanyahu platform. I mean, um, you know, there is such a misperception that we Palestinians had, had decided to cut off relations with the Trump administration. It's not true. It's the other way around. Uh, I was sitting in Washington uh, up until November 2017, and we had managed to meet President Trump four times at the highest level, my president, President Abbas. Uh, uh, we met uh, his team, Mr. Kushner and Mr. Greenblatt and the others, many, many times. We lost count, more than 32, according to my record. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, the engagement was actually positive uh, in that period. And all of a sudden, I received a phone call, call from the State Department at a very senior level, saying that uh, the White House has decided to close down our office. By the way, this happened before the recognition of Jerusalem as the unified capital of Israel. Uh, so from the very beginning, there was a sudden U-turn immediate because of the pressure of the anti-two-state solution. I mean, uh, it's a de-recognition of the Palestinian people's hood and, and quest for statehood, closing their mission, their representation. Uh, uh, is not an act that you should take lightly. Closing off the Consulate General, which has been there since 1844, long before Israel and before all this conflict, uh, 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 which served as a key contact uh, 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 point between the Palestinian government and the American government, Palestinian people and American people. And now they changed it, the U.S. administration. They just moved it from the Consulate General, which represented that long-held uh, bilateral relationship, and now they call it the Palestinian Affairs Unit within the U.S. Embassy to Israel. It tells you all you need to know. This this American administration has decided what Netanyahu told them, that the Palestinian issue is an issue within Israel. It's not an issue between uh, two uh, nations and two peoples. And therefore, uh, uh, you see every step down the line is a step of de-recognition, denationalization, the internationalization of the Palestinian issue, including the UNRWA and the funding to the PA, it was all 
because of that one. Remember the first press conference between uh, President uh, Trump and Prime Minister Netanyahu in February 2016. President Trump shocked all of us when he said, one state, two state, whatever the, 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 the two sides uh, decides, I'm fine with it. He was not actually promoting the one-state solution, I take it. He was practically under the pressure of Netanyahu to abandon the long-held U.S. policy of being so straight, so clear on uh, calling for a two-state solution, endorsing, uh, sponsoring the two-state solution. And since then, every single head has been in line with the Netanyahu side of trying to undermine the argument about a two-state solution on the 67 borders and convince the Palestinians that our issue is over and then we can just take whatever lifts, uh, left outs they can uh, throw on our side. The U.S. has played a decisive role in pushing Israel towards annexation, I mean the U.S. administration. The U.S. administration, in our opinion, is now part of the problem rather than part of the solution. And it's regrettable. It's absolutely regrettable. Uh, right, but just, and, just to be clear, I'm, I'm, you're speaking about the Trump administration. I understand your position, given especially a lot of the policies that they've undertaken. But to be clear, I'm referring to the possibility. The Trump. The new administration I, I am strictly talking about the Trump administration. I am right. strictly talking about Trump and his team. Right. I'm asking about the possibility that a new administration, whether in 2021 or 2025, would, for example, restore the American aid to the Palestinians, reopen the PLO office in Washington as the presumptive Democratic nominee, Joe Biden, has pledged to do? You know, after annexation, it will not be uh, an issue of what we will do. It will be an issue of what we will not do. And I think after annexation, I don't think you will have a, 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 a Palestinian leader or leadership who would just receive a phone call from the White House, President Biden, for, that, for the sake of the argument, and uh, calling them uh, and inviting them to resume talks uh, on the previous former old base. I don't think this can happen. No, no Palestinian leader can do this. Yeah, and that's why we're, we're saying now to uh, 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 Vice President Biden and his campaign and his team, uh, and we say through your uh, platform, if President, uh, if the Biden team do not really send the right messages now, and if they do not contribute to changing that calculus, and they are not so far, uh, I think the headache that Mr. Biden will inherit once he is elected, if he is elected, uh, will be immense. And I don't believe he can actually bring about an end to this conflict via another process. It's, it would have been over. So before we move into the audience questions, I just want to address one more issue that is hanging over all of this. I mean, we can't really discuss anything today without addressing the topic of coronavirus, this public health, global public health crisis that we're all experiencing. Um, last week, a plane from the United Arab Emirates landed in Israel to deliver medical relief to the Palestinian Authority, but the Palestinian Authority ultimately undertook the decision to refuse that aid. Can you explain why that decision was taken, especially given the urgency of the current public health situation, and did it have anything to do with annexation? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm not really fully aware of that particular uh, situation. I'm not. I'm in London, and I haven't followed it in details. But overall, uh, uh, we believe this is the time to send the Israeli government uh, a message of defiance against its current platform. This is the time to actually start not only discussing sanctions, but imposing sanctions to deter 
such a, a, a very dangerous uh, 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 evolution of uh, 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 the annexation. Uh, this isn't the time for carrots, and this isn't the time uh, to actually help Netanyahu uh, argue his case. Netanyahu has been saying to the Israeli public, regrettably, the Israeli public has been buying it, that he could actually turn this occupation into a permanent occupation and at the same time fully normalize with the Arab world. And this is exactly why the Israeli public have been supporting Netanyahu, because they want the cake and eat it too, like all other, all other societies, by the way. This is not special about the Israelis. If any other society, you tell them you can have the cake and eat it too, they will tell you, go ahead with it. And Netanyahu has been telling them that message that I promise you, I will annex, I will end the two-state solution. I will turn Israel's control of the occupied territories permanent. He's not telling them he's going to turn it into full-fledged apartheid, but I will turn this into full-fledged, and at the very same time, I will normalize with the Arab world. So that incident you spoke about came at the very wrong time, and therefore I understand why we and the leadership would reject it. I understand this position, and especially as you laid out, Prime Minister Netanyahu has made one of the hallmarks of his political campaigns, his ability to be a very uh, adept steward of Israel's foreign affairs while advancing his own agenda on the Palestinian front. But just looking at how this might play out uh, with the way things are going in the West Bank, I mean, the PA didn't go into the coronavirus on the most stable financial footing. And we know that the World Bank forecast that the Palestinian economy would contract this year and projected that in 2020, international donor support for the Palestinians is going to reach its lowest level in a decade. And of course, we need to account for what we've been discussing already on this call, the complete cutoff of aid from the United States under the Trump administration and everything that's happening with the COVID-19 crisis. So how do you square these realities with how you're planning to engage with these Arab donor states that might also have, whether formal relations with Israel or informal uh, ties with Israel, and how you plan to engage with them in the future? We can't. We can't uh, square it. For us, it's very clear. Uh, uh, of course, we would want to uh, uh, sustain our services to the Palestinian people. We would want to sustain our ability to provide uh, and we understand the gravity of the economic slash financial situation, especially in light of coronavirus and the COVID-19 pandemic and all that. Uh, and we understand the pressure that has brought many countries around us uh, in terms of the uh, uh, economic uh, consequences. Uh, but again, uh, um, uh, my friend, let me, let, me, let me clarify this again. For us, all this is the vehicle to get where we want to go. So... Uh, if, if the vehicle is not moving and sometimes is reversing, it's going in the, bad, in the wrong direction, we will not keep putting fuel in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the vehicle. And to think that we would be primarily concerned about collecting sufficient money so we sustain the status quo is a wrong thinking. It's a wrong thinking in our part if we ever do that. So my short answer uh, to your question is, if it comes to that, if it comes to the lack of money unable to provide, let it be. Let it be. In no way, in no way, uh, uh, we will uh, be taking steps towards just afloating ourselves and keeping uh, uh, the Palestinian Authority alive. If the circumstances do not allow for a genuine, real, meaningful movement in a political direction, 
uh, that is supported by the public, then I think what you are fearing and tempting to or hint, hint, hinting towards is going to happen. It's just a matter of when, not if. And sometimes, you know, you don't you don't fight a fight that you know is not going to be winnable. So I want to move into audience questions now. We have a lot of really great questions. Uh, first question from Ambassador Daniel Kurtzer. Uh, he asks that you mentioned that the announcement of the Israeli coalition agreement is tantamount to annexation, but in fact, it's a guide to what the government in the Knesset might do. Since the coalition agreement is set for July 1st as the earliest possible date on which a decision on annexation could take place, why didn't the PLO also indicate that it would activate its separation and abrogation of the agreements with the U.S. and Israel, what happened last week, instead on the same date that Israel actually plans to annex, that being July 1st or forward? Hello, Ambassador Kurtzer. Um, uh, you know, I, I feel embarrassed that he's listening in because he knows more than I do about the dynamics of the conflict. But I'm glad you're asking this question because, uh, you know, for us, the main, main uh, purpose is to prevent annexation. That's the, the key uh, the key policy right now, the strategy is to prevent annexation, is to do everything possible uh, in terms of Palestinian action uh, uh, as early as possible. And we couldn't do anything before uh, an announcement, and including this in the formation of the government and being read publicly upon swearing in. So it couldn't be more legal uh, announcement uh, for this uh, new coalition government. Uh, but to wait for their own timetable, I, I don't, you know, this is really being reactive and waiting too, too, too long and too late. Uh, we want to prevent this. We believe we could prevent this if we change the calculus. And we think that even if the odds are very low, and they are low, if, if you ask me, Ambassador Ketsa, if you really ask me, uh, 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 you know, uh, 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 I don't think anything can prevent it, or the chances of preventing this is very limited, but we have to do what we can uh, to actually uh, stop it. And what we can is to early on tell the Israeli public, tell our region, and tell the rest of the world that here we go. Uh, the train is leaving the station. It has left the station. Once it leaves the station, these will be the consequences. And I am surprised that anybody should wait for the 1st of July. I mean, why? The writings are on the wall. I'm surprised that countries uh, like the European Union like, and many other countries are not saying from now that this will happen. One, two, three. I'm surprised that nobody is telling the Israeli public now that the, your prime minister is lying. His promise that Israel could just keep a permanent occupation and keep perfect relations with its region and the rest of the international community does not add up. Nobody is really saying that in terms of consequences. Of course, there are so many condemnations and statements and what have you, but we have learned the lesson for the last 25 years. It doesn't pay off. It doesn't, it doesn't affect the course of history. Uh, so yes, we started early. We did not want to wait. And the idea is to prevent it. And uh, we think the chances are very small, but we must prevent it at any cost. And you know what, Ambassador Ketzer, every cell of us is fighting this because we know that the day after annexation is going to be new dawn, new terminology, a new uh, universe, galaxy. 
it's going to take time, a long time for it to come together, to materialize, to take shape, agency, what have you. But it's a new universe. Uh, maybe people like you and I who believe that the two-state solution was the possible formula is fighting so hard right now to try and stop uh, a nightmare. You know, when you are asleep and you are about to see a nightmare, you're trying to wake up and you can't. Uh, every one of us go through that experience. It's almost that. We know it's going to happen. The nightmare is going to happen. That thing that is tracing us in the, in the nightmare is tracing us. But we want to wake up and perhaps end that nightmare. I don't know if we can wake up, uh, Daniel. I don't know if we can wake up. But I know that once this happens, I mean the annexation, there will be a serious, serious recalibration of everything. And I know it's not going to be sudden. Nothing will happen sudden. We have uh, a leadership and we have institutions that are not going to jump instantly. But it is going to set forth and set free dynamics that we have never seen before. We have a younger generation. We have agencies. We have uh, civil society that are very active, by the way. We have voices all over the world. We have a diaspora agency. We have professors in universities and everywhere. We, I discovered that here in the UK, the majority of, of our community are the doctors and the professors during the coronavirus because I had the time to call every one of them and uh, most of them make sure that they are okay, etc., etc. So this is an agency. They are waiting. Everybody is waiting. Everybody is doing their calculations. Everybody is thinking, you know, what should be next. But I assure you that the Palestinian, the majority of the Palestinian thinking is already gearing towards what's next and how do we reformulate our energy towards a new, a new, a new struggle. Uh, they will not fight for the two-state solution because we have fought for it for a long time. I don't feel the public want to fight for the two-state solution. They don't, but the hell will fight for an alternative once we spell the end of this because at one point in time, it would have to be the leadership that brought this form of a solution. It was the PLO that told the Palestinian people, come with us with the two-state solution. We promise you heaven. We promise you international support. We promise you the materialization of the two-state solution in five years after the signing of Oslo, i.e. 1998-1999. Now, after all these years, after all these years, the leadership might not be quick in destroying everything, but the leadership has to tell its people, hang on, hang on, we get it, we get it. And we promise you we will not put our heads in the sand anymore. This is the message of the announcement a few days ago. It's a message of alliance with the truth. We have, we have really been trying to play tactics. Oh, let's uh, have a process. Let's be politically correct. Let's avoid the blame game. Who cares now, Daniel? Who cares about the blame game? They're going to kill the, the only possible solution we have lived for for the last so many years. Who cares if they blame the Palestinians uh, one more? We should not be perfect on you know, uh, uh, measuring our action. What Netanyahu is about to do is murderous in every sense. He will destine Israel and read my lips. And I'm saying this not as a Palestinian or I'm saying this as a person who belongs to the international uh, community, who consider himself to be uh, uh, belonging to the human family. He, this Netanyahu, thinks he will be the creator of the second Israel. No. He will be the creator. We know who, who ally, what alliances we will be allying ourselves with. And we are very comfortable. After annexation, before annexation, we, we know what values we are calling for. It's very simple. For, it's basic. It's basic. Be it uh, two states, one state, equal rights, everything is basic. And it will take its own agency. 
But to ally Israel in today's world with the likes of Bolsonaro, of Brazil, and Auburn, of, of, of Hungary, to see Israel in the most right fascist wing elements and agencies worldwide, and to actually create and mainstream the discussion for annexation in Israel itself, to coerce and to bring labor within the annexation agenda, I think Netanyahu will be remembered in a few years as the one who has reshaped Israel and reshaped Israel's support in the international community. And I think while it might be easy now for some to dare to support Israel's occupation and when it will end and how it will end, after annexation, I don't know how Israel's friends and supporters will behave and how they will defend themselves. So I want to try to get to as many questions as possible. I understand that you have limited time, so I'm going to throw a couple of them to you at once. So first we have one uh, from Jacob Kornblue from The Jewish Insider. I know we sort of touched upon the topic of a prospective Biden administration, uh, but Jacob would like to know if the PA or PLO rather would consider resuming talks with the Biden administration immediately and again asking whether you take the commitment to reopen the PLO office in DC and the consulate in Jerusalem at face value. Uh, We also have a question from Bob Sugarman, one of the members of our board, asking about the security cooperation. Bob says that in the past, security cooperation has benefited Israel and the PA. In particular, it's benefited the PA in terms of being able to enhance the ability to contain Hamas. What is the PA's plan to do that without cooperation with Israel? And then lastly, One question from Noah Schusterman asking about the presentation of the Trump plan, that when the Trump plan was put forward, Jared Kushner said that if the Palestinian leadership doesn't like this plan, then you can put forward an alternative. Uh, Why was the decision taken not to uh, take up the Trump administration's invitation to put forward an alternative? For the engaging the Biden administration, it's too early to judge, my friend, but we will be judging not on the basis of reopening the PLO office in Washington, important it is, uh, or, or uh, uh, even uh, any other, you know, resuming aid. No, we will be judging, I believe, on the basis of the fundamentals. I mean, the fundamentals. Why did we agree to engage in the peace process in the late 80s and the early 90s? Because we were told there are fundamentals that the U.S. will always guarantee. Those are the well-known five permanent status issues. Jerusalem, refugees, borders, including the issue of settlements, and political prisoners, and what have you. Um, now, if the any American administration go back to these fundamentals without tempering with them, without really becoming, uh, 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 you know, uh, uh, dictating any of these terms, we will engage. Of course we will engage. Uh, 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 but if Biden comes back and do this gesture and that gesture without really reinstating the fundamentals that Netanyahu has worked so hard to destroy, uh, I think it will be a waste of time. Even if we do it, it will be just a waste of time. The question about security uh, coordination, security coordination was and is part of a collective effort by the Palestinian people, leadership, international help to fulfill our commitment under the Oslo agreements. The Oslo agreements were a transitional period 
to fulfill the two-state solution. The two-state solution were agreed at every agreement to be based on UN Security Council resolutions 242338. Should annexation happen, uh, the two-state solution altogether would be under question, and our uh, 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 commitment to that process would be delegitimized. And therefore, yes, of course, there is a security need. And by the way, we need security more than Israel. In the end, we are the, the ones under occupation. We need coordination more than Israel because if we leave our home to uh, the next village, sometimes we need coordination. <coughs> it's us who are going to be affected by the lack of coordination the most because it's us who need uh, a piece of Israeli paper and permit every time we are born or dead. It's us who cannot go to hospitals. We will die out of cancer if we don't coordinate. That's the life under occupation. That's the life and the lack of any provision of human rights. And therefore, you know, we don't want this coordination thing to turn into a net burden against our national rights. Because frankly, it has become a, a burden on our national rights. Why it has become a burden? Because Israel is enjoying it. It's enjoying this coordination without wanting to actually pay for it. Israel wants to take the services, take the, cord the security coordination, take the services of the Palestinian Authority. You know, we, instead of Israel, provide for health, education. We fought the bell of occupation, that occupation did not end. I mean, it's absurd. It's a five-star occupation. It has become a five-star occupation whereby there are no incentives for Israel, for that matter, and for the Israeli government to actually let go of such a perfect, perfect situation. I mean, who wants to let go? And that's why we know we have got to, even if it hurts, and it will hurt, it is already hurting. We don't know what we will do to the people who want to travel immediately to be treated for cancer. We don't know what to do. But we know that if we don't take drastic decisions right now, if we don't start the discomforting, again, the discomforting of the status quo, nothing will change. The only problem is no one else is doing it with us. No one else is doing, doing it with us. And when we call for everybody to actually take this seriously and really deliver a serious message of changing the calculus, then the discussion go in all directions. You know, uh, 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 this is about Israel singling Israel out. Anyway, the short answer uh, to this we will not do any step that goes in the opposite direction of ending occupation and establishing a two states as we all aspire for. If security coordination lead in that direction, we will do it. If it doesn't, we will end it. And we now believe it does not. We now believe it serves the interests of those who want to not only maintain the status quo, no, of those who want to transform the, the, the status quo into an irreversible process of apartheid. The last Trump plan, why didn't we present uh, uh, something else? <clears throat> I mean, why should we present? And why, why, why people think that we Palestinians have to always be, you know, presenting and giving initiatives and we are the ones who do, and you know, uh, we, uh, we belong to that land. I was born in that land and it, it's, uh, uh, it's my home. And there are 13 million of me, like me, 6.5 million inside historic Palestine from the river to the sea, 6.5 million outside. The 13 million are ain't going anywhere. 
uh, no one is going anywhere. Uh, 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 we have, I think, we have done enough initiatives, enough thinking, enough ahead of the curve and all that, uh, uh, including accepting the two-state solution. I, you know, when the, when the Trump thing came, it wasn't really a peace plan, you know, that or any plan that we should contemplate with. No, it was it was simply a contract of what do you call it? Uh, submission, uh, uh, full, uh, you know, surrender. The terms of the surrender, and there is there is nothing for it to counter it. And if you counter it, effectively you give it credibility and legitimacy. I mean, there was no plan. That was that was. I was just telling us, hey, Palestinians, by the way, you lost. You lost everything. You lost your uh, your land. You lost your property. And by the way, you don't have even rights. Don't dream of a state. Um, we will draw this uh, thing for you. So you reject it. So it was done to reject it. We engaged that administration. And our, our attempt to not engage on the so-called Trump plan is because we have wasted enough time. We are not in a mood to waste more time, my friend. We are not. So engaging the Trump on the basis of what the Trump offered us is a waste of everybody's time. So we have a lot of questions. Unfortunately, we're not going to have time to get to all of them. But two that are related, we have a question from Isaac Hassan, who is one of our IPF Atid young leaders in San Francisco. Isaac asks, uh, he says that when I talk to Israelis about security consequences of annexation, like a potential end to security coordination with the PA, or endangering Israel's peace treaty with Jordan, they often say that the PA and Jordan won't go through with it. But now that we've seen and we've discussed here today the suspension of security cooperation with the PA, do you see a likelihood of Jordan nullifying its treaty with Israel? And how can that be best communicated to the public? Similarly, Howard Sumka asks, do you not consider the very strong, even angry-sounding statement from King Abdullah of Jordan uh, as a strong deterrent against annexation? And does Prime Minister Netanyahu not care about the treaty with Jordan from your perspective? And relatedly, uh, what do you see as being the reaction from Egypt? Well, I don't speak for Jordan or for Egypt for that matter, really. And uh, I, would, I, would, I would be more comfortable if, if you call the Egyptian ambassador or the Jordanian ambassador to discuss these, um, uh, these issues. But we all had the king publicly, and the king was very clear that uh, the issue of annexation would lead to serious confrontation. Uh, and they strongly oppose it, and they think it should uh, be prevented, uh, um, you know, uh, in all scenarios. So that's the position, and I think that is also the position of Egypt. And it's the position of the Arab uh, world, the position of the Arab League, uh, following the meeting uh, uh, of the foreign ministers uh, after the Israeli government announcement. And the position is very clear that this goes against all that we have known and it would destroy the peace process and the two-state solution. So I think the position of these countries are, are, are clear. And I don't think it's just because of solidarity. I mean, this is not about Egyptian and Jordanian solidarity with the people of Palestine. It's also about their own national security. It's also about their own national strategies and interests. I mean, you know, the, the Jordan is also interested strategically in the two-state solution because that will also stabilize the region and Jordan. And so does Egypt, because Gaza must be part of the two-state solution. So, uh, and, uh, and Egypt wants to uh, uh, end that uh, situation uh, in Gaza. So uh, it's, uh, their position is real, and they want to uh, stop uh, annexation. 
now again, we go back to the same discussion. Uh, uh, is it enough? Uh, uh, is our actions, uh, like stopping all contacts with Israel, uh, uh, is the actions of the region, including Jordan and Egypt, enough at this point in time? Uh, do we need more action? And I think the answer is yes, we need more action. Still, we need to change the calculus. So we unfortunately don't have enough time for all these questions, but thank you for sharing your insights with us, Ambassador Zamla. Very fascinating call and a lot to learn from this program. I'm going to hand it over now to our board chair, Susie Gelman, who will close out this program and offer a few important announcements. Susie, you're up the floor. Thank you. Hi, Hussam. Good to see you. And uh, it, I'm sorry I, I joined late, but it sounds like it was a very important discussion today and you gave us a lot to think about. Um, I want to thank everybody who joined the call. We had a, a very robust turnout, as we always do for these webinars. And uh, again, if you're new to Israel Policy Forum, we welcome you and hope that you will be able to join every Tuesday uh, for our webinars at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific, um, because if it's Tuesday, it's an IPF webinar. Similarly, uh, these webinars and all of our materials are made possible by our supporters. So if you're not already supporting Israel Policy Forum, please consider supporting us. Go to www.israelpolicyforum.org forward slash giving. And Hussam Shukran, I hope to see you soon. I hope to see you in Washington soon, actually. Um, and again, thank you everybody for joining today. And we'll see you again next Tuesday for another IPF webinar. Thank you so much. Bye -bye. I look forward. Thank you. Thank you, Thank Susie. You. Bye bye. bye, -bye.